Welcome to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Join us for an in-depth look at Iowa agriculture. Here's your host, Mark Magnuson. Welcome into this week's edition of Weekend Ag Matters, brought to you in part by the Iowa Soybean Association. I'm Mark Magnuson. Russ Parker, Riley Smith, and Dustin Huffman will join us later on in the show. As for right now, let's start with a quick look at the news headlines. Farm Bureau's 37th annual Thanksgiving dinner survey provides a look at the cost of this year's classic feast for 10. This year's price tag is $64.05. That's up more than $10 from last year's average of $53.31. Still works out to under $6.50 per person. The centerpiece is the turkey, of course, which costs more than last year at $28.96 for a 16-pound bird. It's 21% higher than last year. Other ingredients in the meal include stuffing mix, dinner rolls, milk, sweet potatoes, a veggie tray, pie crust, and several others. The only traditional ingredient that's cheaper than last year is a bag of fresh cranberries at $2.57, 14% cheaper than last year. American Farm Bureau Chief Economist Roger Cryan said factors driving the prices higher include general inflation, supply chain challenges, and the war in Ukraine. That's all the time we have for news headlines this week. You can check out the rest of our daily news stories on iowaagnet.com. It's time now for Russ Parker's segment here on Weekend Ag Matters. I don't talk about politics often, and my purpose for bringing up the topic is not to discuss one side or the other, but rather to observe the foundational process of voting that we experience on election day. The opportunity to vote is the foundation on which this country stands. And as a U.S. citizen, we have the privilege by casting our vote who will govern our country. We must continue to be forthright and ever watchful to protect this liberty. What got me thinking about this topic of foundations was watching a TV commercial the other day from a basement repair company. The message mentioned that the dry weather we're having could impact the moisture level under the footings of a house, causing the foundation to settle. Lesson to be learned. Water your foundation as needed. This past week, I've been in Kansas City at the National Association for Farm Broadcasting Convention. To highlight another definition of foundation, I serve on NAFB's foundation. Its purpose is to raise and manage funds that are used to invest in young people who are seeking to advance their education and work experience in the field of farm broadcasting and ag communications. As a foundation board, we have a shared mission that includes a desire to give back and convey our passion for this cause to others who are willing to offer financial support. Let me offer another example of a foundation by asking a question. What is the foundation for your life? What strong and grounded rock do you stand on when it comes to living a life that stands up for liberty, waters your spiritual needs, and gives you a desire to give back? In 1 Corinthians 3.10, Paul tells us, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how they build upon it. Food for thought, I hope. This is Russ Parker. Have a blessed day. Thank you, Russ. That's it for segment one on this week's episode of Weekend Ag Matters. Coming up after this short break, Riley talks with Matt Inman of BASF. This is Weekend Ag Matters. 
Every detail matters when building a winning game plan. That's why the Cyclones and Hawkeyes rely on better, cleaner-now biodiesel to power their team buses on game days, delivering success on the field, in the field, and in the environment. Make biodiesel part of your game plan by visiting IASoybeans.com. Biodiesel. Request it. Grow it. Use it. This message brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and the Soybean Checkoff. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's Riley Smith. Well, we are here at the NAFB convention trade talk session down in Kansas City, and we are talking with Matt Enman, the weed and resistance, or he's with uh, weed and resistance management with BASF. First off, Matt, um, you know, how can growers prepare to get ahead of weeds next year? I mean, that's obviously something that a lot of them are thinking of as harvest wraps up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, weed management is, is a year-round uh, practice, uh, 100%. But right now is the perfect time. Like you said, as we're wrapping harvest up, uh, being in the field, there's no better time and in, in putting your eyes on your farm and, and really reflecting on your, your weed management practices that you did this year and maybe you know, in some trouble spots, where can I tweak some of those practices moving into next year? Right, and that's, you know, you see a lot more producers now going with that fall application period or, or just those fall management practices as opposed to waiting until the spring for it. You know, what's been kind of pushing that? What are the benefits that producers are seeing from that uh, fall period of weed management? Yeah, anything we can do now to help that early spring, that burn down process uh, prior to planting is certainly going to help out now. But yeah, if it works out on your operation, put down a, a residual application, a residual, um, again, we're just going to, th those are that many less weeds that we're going to have to deal with come springtime. Right, and we, we all know that the, the best way to keep weeds from being an issue is to stop them from uh, growing in the first place. So uh, what can growers do to kind of ensure a successful herbicide application when they decide to do that? Yeah, so first I'll uh, start off, you know, as we move into the planting time, um, I want to encourage growers to think about managing weeds, particularly as we talk about our driver, key driver weeds, our water hemp, our palmers. Let's get in the mindset of trying to manage those before they even germinate. Um, and again, going back to post-herbicide applications, it takes pressure off of those. And, and again, there's less weeds to kill. Um, but going, thinking about that, let, let's, that starts with starting off with a, a strong residual pre um, at planting or right before planting, um, multi-mode of action, something like Zidua Pro, three modes of action. Uh, we get a burn down, we get that strong residual uh, with that product. Um, follow it up, Genia, Liberty, our post chemistries, but let's make sure um, we're being timely with those and including a residual partner like Zidua SC, like Outlook. Again, so we're overlapping those residuals and carrying that residual control all the way through the season. So then with all of that, what are some other tips that you might have for uh, growers when they're thinking about having a, a successful time uh, spraying that herbicide? Yeah, um, you know, again, scouting, knowing what weeds we're going after, number one. Um, and then it just comes to, look, let's, let's focus on those. Let's get the right products, uh, apply them at the right rate and the right timing. Timing, I can't stress enough how critical that is, uh, particularly with our post chemistries. Um, and then beyond that, 
Um, we we want to make sure we preserve, we're sustainable as possible so we can keep, um, from a resistance management standpoint, so we can keep these chemistries, this technology for years to come. Right. So, you know, speaking of those weed challenges, what, what are some of the issues that we did see this year? And then, you know, how will those go on to impact in future years and, and how should farmers react to that? Yeah, so uh, like you said, and we talked about it, this was a, a challenging year um, weather-wise um, in some areas. You know, we were cold and wet very early on, that delayed planting, um, and, and then once it dried up enough, growers could start planting, it was hot and dry. So in that situation, um, a lot of growers um, couldn't put out their pre-residuals and were really, they were, you know, worried about getting the seed in the ground and then come back and, and starting behind from the beginning because the, the weeds are growing with the crop, right? So um, we're already behind from the get-go. Um, but yeah, you know, again, having that residual layer helps that flexibility of our post applications. Right, and it's so important as well to be effective with that application and, and apply it at the right time to make sure you don't get uh, leftover weeds in that field because you get that last weed standing out there he's the one who's going to cause those issues next year and make it even tougher to manage in the future yeah absolutely that's something else i want to encourage folks uh you know to get in the mindset of one weed is too many because that one palmer that one water hemp can produce a half a million or more seed and uh, if, if it goes to seed gets back into the soil weed seed bank we're going to be dealing with that for several years um, and also the potential for spreading that seed across your farm and other operations in the area. And, and um, yeah, we obviously don't want that to happen. Right. So you've mentioned a, a little bit already, but what are some of those key products in the BASF herbicide portfolio that farmers can use to help keep those weeds at bay? Yeah, for soybeans, uh, again, Zidual Pro, number one soybean pre on the market, um, three modes of action all in the same jug. Um, we can include Ingenion that to enhance that residual, enhance that burn down as well. Um, you know, another option would be Ingenion Zidua Pre, and then both of those follow those up with uh, early Liberty posts. And again, make sure we're including the residual like Outlook. So we're continuing, we're killing what's there, but we're also continuing um, that residual control, that layering um, control through crop canopy. All right, Matt. And is there any other information on, on weed and resistance management that you'd like our listeners to know today? Just stay vigilant, like I said. Just uh, encourage you to get in the mindset of um, you know, controlling our, our key driver weeds before they come up um, and, and just looking at the whole uh, process as a whole. You, you know, our herbicides are a backbone of our weed management programs, but I encourage you to incorporate any other cultural practices, non-chemical control methods to help out um, with that, and, and again, in, in an effort to preserve and, and be sustainable with our technology. All right, that again was Matt Enman, technical, mar technical marketing manager with BASF. Matt, thanks for taking the time to visit with us today. Thank you, appreciate it. And that's it for segment two of this week's show. When we come back, Dustin will wrap up as he talks with Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag. This is Weekend Ag Matters.
November is full of observances which tie into the ag industry. There's National Hunger and Homeless Awareness Week, National Farm City Week, National Better Conservation Week, the Thanksgiving holiday, and so much more. Take the time to share the story of what your family farm is doing to be better stewards of the land and water. Look at ways your farm can contribute to the benefit of your local community. Also consider making a donation of food and time to help those who are less fortunate than yourselves. Do what you can to make an impact in the world around you this month and always. This message is from your friends at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters. Here's your host, Dustin Hoffman. Welcome back to Weekend Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, coming to you from the NAFB convention in Kansas City. I'm Dustin Huffman. Earlier this week, I had the chance to sit down with Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag for our monthly chat. We talked about avian influenza and its progression. We also talked about harvest progress, tillage progress, and even wrapped up with a little information about Turkey Day. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Iowa Secretary Mike Nag. Well, we're talking right now with Iowa Agriculture Secretary Mike Nag for our monthly chat. And Secretary, first of all, the elections are now behind us. You've got yourself another term. Tell us a little bit about, you know, getting to work again for another four years here in Iowa. Well, well, thank you. And first of all, I'm, I'm just grateful for all the support that uh, I received. And, and uh, you know, it's campaigns... Uh, quite an intense business, but it gets you in front of a lot of people. It gives me a chance to uh, travel and connect with folks. And I always appreciate doing that and, you know, go through what I always called my, my every four year uh, performance review. So um, I'm just really pleased at the results on Tuesday and, and excited to have a shot at uh, another four years. And as I like to say, there's always more work to be done and really proud of what our team's been able to accomplish in some really challenging times. And you and I have talked about a lot of those things over the last four years, uh, but excited about what we can continue to accomplish here. So thank you very much. Yeah, definitely. And of course, one of them challenges is something that we kind of hinted at and talked a little bit about two weeks ago when we last talked, but now, boy, things have changed. And that is avian influenza. Uh, things have escalated. First, let's talk about how many cases we've gotten so far this fall and, and where things are there and what areas. Right. Unfortunately, it's it's back. And, and uh, you know, we've been watching that throughout the, the year, you know, in, back in 15, we, we dealt with it in the spring and into the summer, but then we did not have a, a, a reoccurrence in the fall. Unfortunately, we've been watching in states like Minnesota and others uh, where this has just kind of stayed at it throughout the summer. And as we've gotten into fall, as birds have migrated south again, unfortunately, they're carrying the virus. And so we, once again, we've got four additional cases now uh, in the state of Iowa, two of those being uh, commercial sites and two being uh, backyard. And so uh, unfortunately, we're, we're back at it again. And we knew that the risk was was high, uh, but uh, we're, we're dealing with it again. And, and really, uh, only time will tell how fast we can move those birds through. And then I think we all have to acknowledge that uh, this virus is acting a little differently. And so we're also now thinking again about spring. And we're hoping that those birds can shed this virus, get over it, quit passing it around when they migrate south. But uh, I think we have to be looking at uh, the spring migration once again with renewed focus because uh, we could very well be dealing with it again then. And, and before we go more into that, first of all, that's prompted again that moratorium on public bird exhibitions and yeah. everything. Uh, tell us a little bit about what those rules are again. Yeah, and it's important to get the distinction here. What we're 
we we once again put the prohibition on on exhibitions and shows in place and that'll run again until we go 30 days past our our most recent detection and there's a distinction here that i want to be very careful about what we're trying to avoid is birds coming from multiple farms to one location where they mingle and then go back to many farms and you know you're what you're trying to do is is uh, contain that spread the movement of birds to markets and the movement of birds one direction is still allowed and and um, you know that that's okay that's part of commerce it's this mixing and then sending back to farms that we're trying to avoid and there are exhibitions that do occur even in the winter months and so it is impacting folks but we just thought it was uh, again the right thing to do uh, to try to really do anything we can to prevent the spread and contain this virus. So we're we're back at that again, unfortunately. Now, uh, one other thing, you know, I know it's not something you see as often as you do with cattle and hogs and other things, but obviously, you know, no no real sales either as far as like auctions or anything like that where poultry could be put on sale. Yeah, and, and again, even there, we would really only be concerned about opportunities for things to come from farms, mix, mingle, and go back to farms. And so even, even you know, an auction uh, that's going one direction, uh, you know, could make some sense. But really, it's these exhibitions, and you're right, it's not quite like uh, the normal sale barn activity and that sort of thing that we, we see in the other species. Now, obviously, with it coming back in fall, that's definitely got, I'm sure, you know, places like Iowa State and USDA's people and all them, you know, kind of looking at what's different about this virus this time around and what, what's changed. Have you heard anything about what differences could have been over this version compared to what we saw in 2015? Boy, that's a, it's a great question. And there's a lot that we need to learn about this. Again, uh, what we saw in 15 was that birds, as they moved north, they, they were able to shed the virus. The wild birds, you know, got over it, right? They're not sick forever. Uh, in this case, though, it's like the virus continues to, uh, to change and uh, the, it, it hangs on with these, these wild birds longer. And so that is something to watch. And then, of course, over time, that virus will just continue to change and it will not be the high pathogenic uh, avian influenza that we're dealing with right now. It will convert to something else, we think. Uh, but it is worth noting that there's something different about this one. And really, viruses are different. It's just like you and I with the seasonal flu. It's different strains that we might be dealing with that act slightly differently, you know, slightly different. And, uh, you know, so we're just seeing that play out here with, with birds as well. So there, there is a lot of work being done to investigate that and to see how, uh, how it's behaving. And then again, uh, unfortunately, we have to acknowledge this idea that uh, if it does not, if it overwinters with those birds when they move north again, uh, then we're, we're back at it. I say that with a caveat that we should always assume that there's something in that migrating population that we don't want in our commercial, op, uh, commercial or backyard flocks. But uh, when you have a known threat, uh, that, that really elevates things. And of course, you know, when consumers hear this kind of information, they start to think, well, what's going to be safe for me to have and what's safe, what's not safe and what do I need to be worried about? Maybe talk about the precautions that go yeah. into the into effect when things like this are happening to prevent the spread and make sure everything is safe when it goes to the consumer. That That's a great question. I'm glad you brought it up. And, and you know, this is uh, something that we take very seriously. You know, birds that are impacted by path do not end up in the in the supply chain they do not end up going to food production because we we detect and uh and contain and and we're dealing with those birds on that farm and so they are never entering commerce it's the same with egg production you know there are no eggs that are coming off of farms that are uh, 
that are positive for iPath. And, and so uh, that's one thing that folks can know for sure. But of course, the other piece is, and again, this is just the nuts and bolts of, uh, of food safety, is you ought to be preparing poultry correctly uh, anyway. And this maybe serves as a reminder of that, especially as we're headed into Thanksgiving. And I bet there's a few turkeys that'll be prepared. And maybe that's the other piece is just the availability of uh, both egg products and and turkey. You know, I just did a quick look here and, and uh, the amount of turkey that's in cold storage as we come into this Thanksgiving is actually very similar to last Thanksgiving, which is slightly down from the, the average. Uh, and so uh, it's not a dramatic a departure from the the availability. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of other pressures on the food supply chain, as you well know, energy costs and labor disruption, inflation. Those are some of the, you know, bigger factors, I think, that are impacting that that uh, retail experience and the price that you might be paying than, than high paths impact on that, if that makes sense. Oh, it definitely does. And let's switch gears now. Obviously, you know, today we're going to get another weekly crop progress update, yep. but Boy, Iowa's just about all but done. I mean, have you heard anything of there's anything still going out there? Yeah, you know, it's that that last few percent of the the acres, it seems like it can it can take, you know, almost uh, you know, to Thanksgiving before some of that is just finally put the finishing touches on, but I would say for the for for all intents and purposes, we're at the end of uh, of the the significant harvest activity, but as you and I know, uh, there's a lot of activity that happens in the field after the combine is parked. And I know that folks have been re really working hard, especially as we've seen these overnight temperatures drop. And in fact, I know as we record this today, uh, there's some snow fa falling across the state as well. So I know folks have really been pushing hard to uh, get some anhydrous on, you know, to, uh, to uh, you know, from livestock facilities to work on getting manure spread and those types of things uh, to try to get ahead of this change in the weather. Now, obviously, you know, commerce uh, is something that the government really can't control too much as far as supply. Have you heard anything about any challenges for those producers who are wanting to uh, apply fertilizers and get things done here for before the snow flies? Yeah, definitely been hearing about some, you know, uh, in, in places. It's not widespread. Uh, in places, kind of some specific challenges, maybe with one supplier or another. Uh, but broadly, again, we're hearing, uh, you know, folks are, are able to, uh, to to move. Of course, the price being paid is another topic altogether, but uh, supply seems to be hanging in there. Uh, you know, of course, the, the broader logistical challenge of the uh, Mississippi River, uh, you know, flow being so low and that that's impacting both grain out and inputs in. And, uh, you know, we're still watching this potential for a rail strike, uh, you know, that now has been pushed off into December. But I, I use this word intentionally and carefully. It could be catastrophic if we layer on the the impact from the river and a strike in the rail line and the challenges that we already know exist out there from a, a trucking standpoint in terms of workforce challenges and availability and the cost of diesel, all those things. I mean, you you pile all those things together and uh, you know now you're really talking about some threats to the supply chain for uh, for next spring. And that's interesting because when you look at the economics of any one of those things happening, uh, I mean, the, the Little River, we're still getting stuff down there, but not as quickly, not right. as, as heavily loaded. The truck situation, as you're saying, but that railroad thing, you know, uh, when you talk about, I mean, and this is something that's going to be negotiated, but is probably the only preventable thing. But if you look at just even the amount of loss that happens in, in commerce, not just in agriculture, just for one day shutdown, it is astronomical in the railroad industry. And that could be a big blow to us. 
oh, it, it could at a time when the economy is already struggling uh, to, to add on to on top of that, this uh, additional cost and just flat out the disruption to the supply chain is is real. You know, I, I think, too, about uh, it impacts all of our lives, every consumer's life. But, you know, I think about the farm inputs, you know, it is a it's a tight schedule between this fall and next spring. And if you've got disruption upon disruption, that that sort of cascades into next spring. It's hard to make up for a disruption. And so even the the threat of the strike starts to dampen things. And actually, as you get closer to that date, you know, we saw this the last time that the rail lines were coming close to that, the strike deadline, that they started to curtail some of the shipments, especially of things like ethanol and, and other products that you don't want just sitting somewhere for weeks on end, potentially. And so it can create a disruption even before, because there's got to be planning around that uh, potential uh, for, for uh, stoppage. All right, and before we wrap up, obviously next week we're talking about Thanksgiving. We've hinted at it a few times here, and those Iowa turkey producers out there have been doing a good job to make sure that we've got product on the tables, aren't they? They really have, and, uh, you know, look, it's a challenge uh, anyway. The economics of uh, agriculture, the input costs, uh, the threat of high path, whether you have had it or not, it is a very present thing in your, it's a stressor. Uh, on your operation. And so one, my heart goes out to those families who are in that business because it's not been a fun year uh, for, for them, but it is a great time uh, to celebrate with family and to put a turkey on the table. And uh, I think what I would encourage folks is don't, there's no need to panic, but I would really encourage folks to go out there and buy that bird, buy two, get the biggest one you can, enjoy it, enjoy a celebration of harvest and, and agriculture and putting something that's just amazing on the table. But Really, it's a time to be thankful to our farmers and to our livestock producers in particular, uh, given all the challenges that they've had to overcome this past year. All right. Well, Secretary, thanks so much for the time again, and we'll talk to you again next month. Sounds good. Thank you. That again was our visit with Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag for this month. And with that, we're at the end of today's show. Don't forget to find all our content online at iowaagnet.com. We wish you and yours a happy Thanksgiving. We will be back next weekend with Weekend Ag Matters. For Riley Smith, Mark Magnuson, and Russ Parker, I'm Dustin Huffman. Thanks for listening. See you again next week.